Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel-Labrizzi. I'm Brian Dawes. I am once again Chris Delano. And I'm twice again Carrie Thomas. And welcome to uh, the newest episode of our lore podcast about the hit TCG Magic the Slathering. Let's go talk about news time. Uh, MagicCon Minneapolis was a week ago. There were a bunch of panels. Um, go watch them. They're on the Magic YouTube channel. There's uh, some some preview stuff. Uh, and there was... I, I actually haven't watched the uh, the Aftermath, the whatever behind-the-scenes panel that uh, uh, Roy and Kay were on. I watched it today, and it's really good, and it uh, has a little cameo appearance from a friend of the show, Reinhardt Suarez, at the very end. He's he's there to make a little little joke about Ulgratha. Friend <laughs> of the show and magic author, Reinhardt. Yes. We, I, shout out Shout out to Reinhardt for being a deep lore trooper. A trooper um, in our otherwise chaotic server. <laughs> <laughs> Roy, please hire Reinhardt again so we can get Reinhardt back on the show for an interview. Uh, let's see. Loading Ready Runs Elder Dragon Social Club episode had a bunch of lore bits with uh, they had uh, Sam uh, on, on there from... Uh, why am I blanking on the name of Sam's YouTube? Ristic Studies. Ristic Studies. There We're we go. We're still thinking Magic Man Sam era, huh? <laughs> well, I'm not thinking a whole lot right now. It's, <laughs> it's too warm. <laughs> Previews for Lord of the Rings, Tales of Middle Earth are soon? As well as the Doctor Who Commander decks and Commander Masters. And I don't know when any of these things are happening. <laughs> Eldraine's not for a bit. That's the only thing that yeah. concerns us for. Yeah, Eldraine Wildin' Out, which I don't think is the official name for the set, but I like it. <laughs> so we're going to run with it. We Yeah, we got some we got some images. Uh, we got to see Ariette. I'm glad everyone knows about Ariette now. You're going to meet her later. She's, well, she's not a great person, but <laughs> uh, uh, Ron and Will de-sparked and trying to figure out what to do in the wake of the Phyrexian invasion at home. Ashiok still has a spark. Very happy about a plane under a sleeping curse. Teehee. Nightmares <laughs> abound. Um, we'll see how that all happens later this year. But we're not going to talk about Aldrain yet because uh, we have two stories from March and the Machine Aftermath. These stories kind of wrap up some things, talk about some consequences and set up some concepts that are throw-forwards um, and are just, like, nice little character pieces to cap off the the big screen action of March of the Machine. Um, so we're going to start with the first of two episodes. Wait, was that all our news? Did yeah, that all? was all the I news. all the news. Yay. Uh, first episode called She Who Breaks the World. Ominous title, if you know uh, what epithet that is referring to. Uh, by Grace P. Fong. Grace is wonderful, used to be on the creative team, is not anymore, but wrote this story. Um, and so we get, a, we get a story from Nissa's POV. So last time we saw Nissa, she was getting smooched, uh, but she was also getting cured of her completion and uh something wonky was with her spark 
and bad time uh, pretty much all around until the smoochy part, which was nice. Yay, Yuri. All right. Um, and things you can tell are not going great because this story starts off with Nessa digging her own grave. Which isn't for her, her, uh, but this past version of her from the Phyrexian invasion. She has been removed from the copper carapace that was constructed around her. Um, although you can see lots of copper scarring still on her arms uh, in her art from Aftermath, which is neat. But uh, this copper carapace, uh, she's burying and kind of trying to put this behind her. Uh, she's also struggling with um, a lot of concepts of not being a planeswalker anymore, because it turns out the wonky thing that was happening with their spark was it decaying and coming apart. Um, we get a little bit of exposition here that talks about uh, some mysterious things happening with planeswalker sparks in general, that maybe this wasn't a side effect of the cure for completion, um, but they hypothesize either the Silex exploding in the Blind Eternities or Realm Breakers interactions with the metaphysics of the multiverse. But a lot of Planeswalker Sparks have been going out. Teferi and Koth have lost theirs. Uh, and we confirm that Chandra and Ajani have kept theirs. And this is upset because Ajani, or uh, Chandra, God, this would be way different if it was an Ajani Nissa ship. Uh, <laughs> Chandra promised to stay with her, but then is already planning on leaving and Planeswalking away to go find Ajani. Because uh, Johnny is having a bad time also. What a surprise. Um, and she is very, well, if I'm not a planeswalker anymore, I can't go with you. I'm stuck here. Uh, you know, she is disconnected from her animist magic. She can't hear the soul of Zalfir if it even has one. Um, she's She just feels incredibly broken and useless and like Chandra is abandoning her. Um but don't worry, Chandra's arrived at her pseudo-grave site to help dig and fill in a hole and lift her spirits, except, uh, Grace, thank you so much for the Yuri. Uh, they basically shove emotional knives into each other's hearts and twist them around a bunch, and it's really satisfying. <laughs> uh, I enjoy watching characters suffer. This is my fault. <laughs> um, and, and they have a lot of arguments about staying and going and responsibility and how they love each other. And, uh, you know, they don't ask good questions and they don't give good answers and, um, they're not having a good time. Uh, Nissa continues to not have a good time. She stops by a, um, the, the hilltop where Ren's sapling is growing and she's like, Look, I don't know if you can hear me. I don't know if there's like a wren in there, but she talks about some of her fears and then tries to focus on the land and, and tap into Zendikar, or not Zendikar, Zalfir. Um, and when she's trying to listen to the song of her soul, uh, basically, uh, she hears all this dissonance. Uh, from her traumatic pasts, um, the lingering voices of the Eldrazi and Nicol Bolas and Phyrexia. Um, 
these things take a mental toll. Uh, and there are physical consequences, too. Uh, not in Nyssa, but in the multiverse. And this weird portal opens up, and this giant monster emerges and starts attacking Nyssa. It's like crackling with lightning and has these big claws, and she's pretty competent and is fighting it off. Uh, her sword is back, by the way. It's been fixed, so shout out to whatever we named the sword. I don't have an open in Scryfall, so I don't remember what we named the sword. Got a card, though. Got a living weapon card, which is sweet. Like Bramble Thorn or something. I don't know. Whatever it was. Skitterthorn, maybe? Skitterthorn. Um, she has a sword back, and she, like, pretty competently is fighting off this monster uh, until it gets the upper hand, and then Koth and Teferi show up and rescue her, and the beast runs away. Um, and they go and chase it while she goes back to the village to get her wounds looked at. Um, and the beast comes back and she is fighting it off and doing like an okay-ish job. And then Chandra shows up and it's like, yeah, we can fight it together, except all the plant magic and the fire magic is not working. Um, and so instead of having a bunch of thorny tendrils lashing at this thing there's a bunch of burning tendrils falling apart one by one lashing this thing and also making it really really big it gets it grows and grows and grows um and nissa animates a tree but she has to like control it because it's not her animist magic making like uh a uh like a self-piloted tree uh it's her manipulating the tree so there's this big hole in the ground and everything is being on fire from the lightning from this thing. And uh, she and Chandra end up getting knocked into this hole. Um, and rain clouds and thunderheads start appearing overhead. And Nissa realizes, oh, wait, this is an elemental. And if we're heating it up, it's releasing steam. And maybe it's just angry because it's not in the right form. This might be a steam elemental. Uh, and so as it's raining and flooding, uh, she and Chandra are in this hole, uh, about to die as this creature tries to maul them, and the floodwaters bring them closer and closer to its mouth. Um, and she and Chandra have a nice little appropriately dramatic talk about each other and their feelings, and hey, love is messy and hard and that's okay and we'll make it kind of thing. And it's very nice. Um, and Nissa finally figures out how to tap into Zalfir's ley lines and channels them through Chandra, kind of like they did back on Zendikar to kill the Eldrazi. Um, and this steam elemental is just the happiest little bean getting heated up um, and evaporates back into its true form and flies away. And suddenly, you know, the skies clear up as the storm clouds follow it. And uh, the water's high enough for them to climb out of the hole. And they do a gay little smooch. Uh, and uh, this portal is still sitting here. And everyone is like, we don't know where this goes. Uh, we don't even know if you can survive. Like, hey, historically, non-planeswalkers have just been evaporated by trying to travel through the blind eternities. If this is like the planar bridge, 
then Nyssa, there's no guarantee you will even survive. It would be a leap of faith. And then they do the Korasami thing where they hold hands and walk in a magic portal together. Uh, we learn later that this is an omen path and we don't know where it goes, but, uh, you know, Nissa will probably be fine. So she and Chandra set off to try and find their way back to Zendikar. To try and get Nissa home, because she misses home. That's Yuri, baby. It's kind of, it's kind of like not the best couples therapy to do it while in a hole <laughs> with a, a thunder monster as your therapist, but uh, it worked out for them. So good for, good for Nissa and Chandra. I mean, when you think you're may, you may be about to die because you're going to drown, as well make sure you, if you do die, you're going out with the clean state. So that makes sense. Yeah, I I loved this story for the way that it it finally addressed the fact that I don't think Nissa and Chandra were particularly good in terms of like a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> so I like think every the- single person who <laughs> is on your and probably Lorelai as well's team for them being incompatible and needing a lot more work to be in a relationship were extremely validated by this story. <laughs> so Yeah, like I it was kind of an unpopular opinion for such a long time. And yeah. I didn't want to share it pop like was that I didn't think Chandra and Nissa would have been a good couple. And I am very validated by this story and also very happy to see that like they're putting in the work. So, it, it is yeah. the level of nuance that was needed for a lot of the time, but also the expectations that a lot of people had were kind of jumbled based on, um, you know, even since the original Battle for Zendikar, Doug Bear had made a comment about... Um, the potential budding relationship and how some relationships will lead to something and some won't. It's not guaranteed just because it's present that it's going to lead to something more. And it's like, yeah, Doug, but this is also like the first pretty gay planeswalker planeswalker relationship. Um, There's a pretty high bar set here. So maybe we should not do it that way. And so when it got pretty complicated and messy and then, arguably mishandled during war of the spark i don't think was... it was arguably mishandled i think it was mishandled yeah mishandled, much mishandled with arguable responsibility for the decision because we don't have all the behind the scenes specifics of who exactly decided that was going to be the direction to um you know nuke the whole thing so yeah it's it's just like the terror of expectations and the characters obviously not being super duper compatible with each other in their current states. Like the expectations were obviously much, much higher because people just wanted to see it happen because it had already been teased. It had already been introduced and developed to an extent. And then, yeah, don't need to retread that ground, but obviously it's just a complicated situation. Yeah. I, I love their relationship in the story, though. I think it was handled like I think Grace Fong did a great job with it. Um, I think that this story has a lot of like action that's happening in it with the like elemental monster and like all of that issue. But it is so 
internally focused on Nyssa. And I love that for it as well, giving us this point of view of like, I don't think Nyssa would have been upset to lose her spark if it had been on Zendikar. I think, I think that is the interesting thing about her as a character is that like, when we talk about de-sparked planeswalkers, which we'll do more next week when we talk about a lot of de-sparked planeswalkers, um, a lot of them didn't ever really see planeswalking as like core to their self-identity and like who they are. And I don't think Nissa ever did. I don't think Nissa like ever really wanted to travel far from Zendikar, um, but being stuck away from it is, I think, such a traumatic thing for her. And then to like put that on top of the Phyrexianization and all that stuff. Uh, it was really good to like get a look at like what she's going through in this story and understanding what her problems are as a character and seeing that the resolution is, you know, somewhat her own like coming to terms with it and then also somewhat like accepting the help from other people. Um, because like some of the story is all about how Nissa is upset about Chandra trying to help her when she doesn't want Chandra's help. But then some of it is also Nissa having to acknowledge that like she kind of does need Chandra's help in some ways and that that's fine and that is actually good and healthy and that's how relationships work. Um, and I like that. There's just a lot of good character stuff in the story. Yeah, it's true. I was not on board with girlfriends at all until this story. Because uh, it wasn't Yuri until this story. <laughs> and I I don't know how to explain that further. I guess there were... It was Yuri during March of the Machine. Kay did a good job. I, li- I liked Kay's work with this, obviously. And... But, that like... Kay didn't have the space to be able to do a lot of the real good nuanced character discussion that happens in this story. Um because the goals of the March of the Machine main story are very different. Um, so the story getting to lay that all out is very good for me, to all who like to partake in Yuri. Um, yeah, no, this was good. I, I liked it a lot. It was also nice that Chandra promised to, um, quote, rebuild her like Vorin Clex if she did get obliterated through the portal. So <laughs> I don't I don't know what flesh she would throw onto the bones at that point, but... Like, it's kind of a risk. (laughs) (laughs) Next time we see Nyssa, she's just like a pile of bones with like a wig on. Chandra's like trying her best. (laughs) Chandra's just putting salami on the bones. Um, No, that's terrifying. I don't want to think about that. Uh, I mean, the omen paths are kind of the most unreliable um, factor in this current thing. So, like, obviously, we know the direction this is headed is not portal obliteration. But, um, yeah, I do think it's funny just to walk into the unknown with full confidence that you won't die like you would have a week ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the beast came through, so that's, like, kind of the one thing in their favor is, like, somehow that elemental beast came through the portal, so if that's the case, then hopefully they can go through it, too. That's clearly elemental with the same physiology as an elf. (laughs) I mean, have you read Nissa's new card? She finds an elf or elemental when you get your second land drop, so, like, it's kind of the same thing, I guess. Um, I... 
I also think that we are not really talking about, um, and maybe we want to save this for the end of this discussion, but the whole episode kind of starts with the great pruning. All of these people have lost their spark. We're not calling it that. <laughs> the story Did calls they... it a great pruning. I'm sorry. Yeah, I just prefer anything that doesn't evoke Baron Sengir in a bathtub with his toes all curled up. Like, this is... This is... Pruning is just such a strange word. And... Um, you already have a tree metaphor going on with, like, the literal tree, the literal world tree of Kaldheim and rebuilding the multiverse and all these branches and Realm Breaker. Maybe not pruning, but... I mean, there's a card. It's called the Spark Rupture. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah I, was fine with, I was fine with the Spark Rupture, the Rupturing. Um, lots of options. Probably not leaning towards pruning, though. We'll get a... We'll get a poll going on this <laughs> um but yeah we can i guess we could probably save that for the end of the the episode if we want to because we do have another story to talk about that does feature another desparked planeswalker uh who has a very different experience with her awakening without a spark um so we can get our feelings about teferi and koth losing their sparks out during that yeah. end of discussion because uh how do, how do we feel about just going on to episode two slash episode 12, depending on how you want to count the stories for mom? Yeah, I've, I've got many thoughts, so we'll save them. All right. Any other specific thoughts on uh, the the Yuri that was she who breaks the world? No, get on with it. OK, OK. So uh, our second mom aftermath story is called Beyond Repair, written by Emily Tang who we got to meet at uh, MagicCon Philadelphia and is delightful and is on the uh, creative team. So another in-house story. Um, this story, uh, somehow, Nahiri returned. Um, but, like, really... <laughs> okay, uh, Palpatine. <laughs> uh, the story starts with Nahiri, and she has survived everything that I was like, this reasonably should kill someone uh, from the mom story. Where, you know, a Skyclave is dropped with her inside of it. Um, but someone did point out that she is a Lithomancer and she probably can deal with a bunch of rocks falling on her. So uh, she has survived. And not only did she survive, but some interaction with the halo that hit her before she the, the Skyclave fell and all of these things. Uh, like, she somehow is also unphyrexianized. Um, another thought that I had while thinking about the story was that she was connected to the Amiria Skyclave, which famously Amiria is associated with angels. So like, who knows? Anyway, she's not a Phyrexian anymore. She wakes up in the rubble of the Skyclave. Um, and for a very long time, an unspecified very long time, uh, she remains in the Skyclave ruins. Uh, first of all, using her magic to like purge herself of all of the metal uh, Phyrexianization that happened to her, uh, and then also using it to like strip the metal from the Skyclave and all of the Phyrexian like corruption from this, you know, ruins of the Amiria Skyclave, uh, which, as the story points out, takes a really long time because she is like going individually rock by rock and just having to excise metal growth and things from it. 
Uh, and she's taking all that metal and she's putting it in a giant pile uh, with the goal of destroying it at some point. But she's just sort of like making what will be the largest pyre uh, in the multiverse after the world tree. Um, Allegedly. So she's doing all this and then she uh, feels some sort of pull towards the central room of the Skyclave where she had been connected to it and where the corruption was the strongest and she investigates it and she finds hidden in this rubble in the one of the walls uh basically her spark in a hedron so she woke up and kind of knew immediately that she no longer had a spark she could feel the loss of it she can feel her powers not being as great as they used to be um but here she has found her spark and it's captured in a little hedron where like somehow instinctively uh, while she was connected to the Skyclave, potentially during the phoresis of the plane, uh, she had put it somehow in that protective casing. Um, so she's like, great, I have my spark. I can like do more with this. And she doesn't immediately crunch it, which is, you know, a choice. Uh, but she climbs up through the Skyclave and she gets to like see Zendikar for the first time in like, potentially like months it's kind of unclear but she's been down in the darkness for a very long time uh and zendikar is like devastated she did a really good job of just destroying this plane the corruption is everywhere the entire plane is just riddled with like pieces of realm breaker um she thinks about how much time and effort and work she put into trying to clean up this one ruined skyclave and how she's going to have to do that now to the entire plane. And it becomes sort of this like crushing realization that she doesn't even have help. Like she tries to think of all the friends she might have left on the plane. Um, and I'm sorry, but like kind of hard to think of any friends after you do a bunch of like, you know, destruction. Um, and then suddenly while she's, observing Zendikar, she hears the arrival of a planeswalker behind her, and it's Ajani. Um, he has shown up, cured of his phyresis, looking good, uh, to recruit Nahiri because he thinks that the Phyrexianized planeswalkers who survived, which so far, as far as Ajani is aware, is just him, Nissa, and Nahiri, uh, have sort of a responsibility to help heal the multiverse. Um, he wants her to come with him and go and like find places where they can help people and undo some of the the terrible things that they've done. Nahiri is not trusting him at all. And she has like a lot of good reasons for this. One of them is that she remembers everything from when they were Phyrexianized. And she knows that a Johnny does too. And that is kind of the most terrifying concept and a thing that comes up pretty often in this story is Nahiri having these thoughts of like what she did and how it felt to be completed. Um, and so she's not really trusting Ajani. And she's also not revealing to him that she doesn't have a spark anymore because he seems a little manic, to be honest. Like he's very insistent that she needs to come with him on this quest of monumental proportions that has no clear like pathway to a resolution. Um, it's kind of just like, we have to go be heroes, but we don't really know what we're saving the world from. Uh, we're just trying to undo the evil that we did. And so they kind of get into this argument 
And Nahiri is slowly convincing herself that Ajani is here to kill her. Um, she realizes that Ajani said that like Luca is dead and Vraska and Jace are presumed dead and uh, Tamio is dead and all of these Phyrexian planeswalkers are dead. And Nahiri is like, but you didn't say how they died. So she's convinced that he killed them and that he's going out killing all these planeswalkers. And she uh, kind of starts egging him on and like pushing his buttons and bringing up all of the atrocities he committed and all of the like evil things he did and trying to make him believe that he was the worst of them, which is arguably pretty true. Um, and he like snarls at her and it looks like he might actually like fight her over this. And she throws up a bunch of rocks between them as like a haha, I'm a lithomancer. Uh, and she doesn't realize that she just broke the ground she was standing on and she falls through the skyclave. And she falls and falls and she lands on a pile of her metal that she had been stripping out of the skyclave. And the little hedron that had her spark falls and is broken and her spark kind of just flies out and is gone. And um, she uh, she's now very convinced that planeswalkers are the bane of her very existence and specifically Zendikar and she commits to keep beating them out of the plane forever. Um, she has a little line where she says, no more, no more pain, no more suffering. Whatever it takes, I swear, no planeswalker will set foot on Zendikar ever again. Um, which is pretty bad considering the last story ended with uh, Chandra and Nissa going, hey, let's go to Zendikar. So yeah, uh, Nahiri villain arc? I mean, like, is she really a villain? I don't know, but that's... Uh, that's her story. So down there, Mordo. Let's let, let's chill out first of all. <laughs> and uh, I I wonder how she plans on enforcing that, especially since she doesn't actually have a spark anymore. It's not, like I don't I don't. It's, it's it's super interesting to me how her motivation has become so antagonistic. Like it's it's readily evident that she has undergone a lot of trauma and it's. But some of the logic jumps just make me wonder. I don't know. It's nothing on the author. It's, it's not an author thing. It's just the whole her whole story arc has had me questioning. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with this. It, 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 it's just not been super clear to me what her motivations have been outside of protecting Zendikar, and the, but the routes that she's gone to to do that have been super super inconsistent to me yeah no i'll i'll agree with that it is it feels like it could be a natural conclusion to what she's gotten up to this point but it's just such a hard turn and i don't know i i've always loved and been wanting more um a planar protectors and b people who hate planeswalkers a whole lot <laughs> so i think it's great that they filled that role i think it's um fitting with nahiri i think they've just struggled to find a direction for her ever since the i don't know they, they've struggled to find a direction for her ever since zendikar rising and i won't say that that set felt especially like loose or um simple 
in her kind of motivations, but like they want a villainous white aligned planeswalker. That much has been clear. And or at least antagonistic as far as like uh-huh. um protecting your own plane and your own civilization and trying to restore it to its original glory can be a white aligned goal. And I'm fine with Nahiri being this. It's just, yeah, it's felt like a very roundabout way <laughs> to get there. And I also don't really see how a lot of people chalk up like a thousand years in the hell vault to be like, oh, she should be okay and totally normal after that. Because no, <laughs> I think she should have been way more unhinged than just unleashing Emrakul. Like, I know people think that was like the most villainous thing she could have done, but it's like, Man, when you put people in isolation, they she's losing touch with reality. She's manufacturing in her mind her own version of Zendikar. And then when she is released... It's even worse than isolation. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, she does go to Soren's house <laughs> and, <kind> and of... <laughs> utterly wreck it and shove everybody in the walls and leave them there to die. Yeah. And leave that all for him to find. You will never convince me that that wasn't justified. <laughs> oh, it, it was justified, but people didn't, like, sympathize with that as, like, oh, poor and so, poor Soren Markov's family, because, like, obviously the vampires are going to be seen as um, a villainous force on Zendikar, regardless of their association to Soren, who is pretty much outcast by his family at that time anyways. We only really got that Edgar Markov kind of connection many years later. So, or the actual rela- relationship that they revealed in Vow and Hunt. Um, but yeah, it's just, I'm fine with Nahiri being kind of off the wall with everything. <laughs> and and I like this happening for Zendikar because obviously it is a um, contentious plane and they've kind of run the well dry as far as both the Eldrazi and the adventure expedition stuff and Part of that became mechanically diluted by outside forces. Obviously, they wanted to do um, many similar adventuring themes for Dungeons and Dragons sets and everything. So, like, I'm fine with it being Nahiri Planar Protector. And I think as people joked in our Discord server, just tunneling through the ground to see wherever (laughs) a planeswalker has arrived and beat the shit out of them. (laughs) It's what she did for our 5,000 years before that. Yeah, exactly. Like, she's not the most stable person as is. Um, I, I don't know. Johnny was pro- was projecting hard in this story, and I like that too. But, uh, yeah. I can see why Nahiri is sick of Planeswalkers. Yeah, I, I think this development for Nahiri makes more sense than anything that happened in Zendikar Rising and also in her story in March of the Machine. Um, I think that the Nahiri we saw in All Will Be One was incredible. Um, I think that gave her gave us a really good view of like the Nahiri who she wants to be in a way of like Nahiri. I, I feel like a, at her core, Nahiri does not want to be angry. She wants to be helpful and be good and do things for the sake of Zindikar, but also for, you know, the the greater multiverse. Um, I mean, she sacrifices herself in the all will be one story to save them uh, 
just as she had sacrificed herself in a lot of ways to trap the Eldrazi. And like, she's done all of those sacrifices. And I think that in a lot of ways, um, she has every reason to hate planeswalkers. Like I think of any character aside from like any random person on Dominaria, she <laughs> has the most reason to hate them because like she was just a kid, a little young planeswalker when some other ones showed up and were like, Hey, you are now part of our gang. And also we're going to destroy your home. And also we're going to not answer your call when you need us. And also I'm going to put you in uh, d- demon isolation for thousands of years. And then like, it's just like one thing after another where Zendikar and Nahiri specifically have just been getting abused and used by, by planeswalkers for so long that I fully understand her decision to like turn on any planeswalker she sees. Like, I think that is valid. Um, and I do think that like, it sets up an interesting story for the future of Zendikar of like, Hey, here's this plane that probably has something that some planeswalker somewhere is going to be interested in and they're going to show up and Nahiri is going to pop out of the ground and just eviscerate them um, (laughs) because she's done and I don't blame her. Um, So, yeah, I do. I do like I do like this story for her a lot. Um, This story has so much internal monologue and narrative that sort of gives us a glimpse into who Nahiri is and also the suffering that she's dealing with post uh, March of the machine. And so I, I love that for it as well. Like I cannot imagine what is going through a Johnny's head after reading this story, because what Nahiri is dealing with is so heavy and that Johnny did more and like arguably on an even larger scale. And so like that poor cat, I think Carrie's uh, characterization of him being manic was specifically apt. Like he was projecting so hard because you can tell, like, like he has to live with the fact that he essentially got Theros. Like he he corrupted the beliefs of thousands or millions of people on Theros, and like on top of corrupting them, like seeing them. Like leading them to corrupt their very belief system to its core, to the fact, to the point where their gods betrayed them. Like that is some deeply, deeply intense guilt that I, I'm sure he's like going through. Because like he he was always the person, the solid rock for people like Chandra too, or uh, or. Um, Elspeth to lean on when they were doubting themselves and to see him upset the core beliefs of other people to the point where like if there aren't a whole bunch of doubters on Theros when we go back I will be stunned like and just know like I I, ugh he has got to be in an awful head place and like, he was always the kind of psychiatrist to the Planeswalkers, so who's going to help him? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that is that is a future story that I am ready to read of what is a Johnny going to do to, like, get out of this feeling that he's in? And, like, does he deserve to get out of it? Because he did some pretty awful things, even if he was under the influence of Phyrexia. Like, how do you atone for those things that you've done? And also, like... Is he going to go hire the steam elemental as his therapist? He did great work for Chandra and Nissa's relationship. Like, 
I don't know. I don't know. So, I would just want to chime in here and say, like, these sound like consequences. Like, real, meaty, good, <laughs> dramatic consequences that a story can move forward and build around. Um, and I'm a little confused, because I thought the story didn't have any of those. It doesn't. These are, there are no these stakes, Lorelai. What are you talking about? Stakes, consequences. We all love them. I, I did want to open discussion I, I, uh, a little bit. Um, for a thing we're probably going to talk about a little bit next week as well when we talk about the cards and, and flavor gems from Aftermath. Um, but I think we are going to be a little tighter on time in that episode, uh, so I, I want to mention it here. Uh, while we have the three people in the podcast who are not contractors and don't know the future or anything, um, we are entering a state where omen paths exist in the multiverse. Um, and there might be potential for interplanar travel again um and while obviously i'm not going to say anything about this um because i know too much um i'm curious to hear y'all's thoughts and i figure the listeners would probably interest be interested in y'all's thoughts on this specific thing uh as well i want to go last yeah (laughs) i've got thoughts that range from omen paths to the actual execution of the aftermath story so i'll keep mine kind of brief um i wasn't really happy with the desparking like i I don't think anybody would be (laughs) (laughs) but uh it's just such a strange way of delivering it that didn't really have as much substance behind it. Um, on the story side, both episodes were amazing epilogues to March of the Machines. However, like the product side of this just kind of feels like a mess. We So Mark Rosewater released his article, which introduced the Omen Paths kind of to the larger audience as well as the D-Spark um, event that happened. And I think that came out the same day as the second story or shortly after. Um, but he hits on some objectives that they had for the set. But he says, like, specifically, the next big decision was to define the major focus of the set. We decided to focus on the de-sparked planeswalkers. These are some of our biggest characters and the most unique story point of the product. The de-sparking happens at the end of the story. To hammer this home, we chose to make all 10 Mythic Rare slots, Legends, etc, etc. Just talking about how the de-sparked Planeswalkers are the focus of this set. Now, if you listen to our March of the Machines shortly before episodes, um, I am one of the loudest voices saying that not every character in a set needs a story. But... When you're claiming that this change is happening to them and that we are only allowed like a peek at them, that's not really enough. And we kind of like you you begged us for years that Planeswalkers were the Hallmark characters. We should be invested in Planeswalkers and their stories. And now we're getting eight of them de-sparked pretty much without story and additional ones de-sparked on the side that didn't get their legend cards in this set. And it's just, it just feels like a big miss overall for Aftermath. Now the Omen Paths, 
like everything remains to be seen on how reliable or story convenient or story inconvenient these can be because I would like them to be obviously not just the easy portal one thing to the other plane or introduce interplanar conflict in like the most ham-fisted way possible that obviously makes sense for set design but like it is still a game and the story is serving the game so I accept that these things are going to happen but it's like Aftermath was promised as an epilogue set and I think the story did great job as an epilogue the issue was throwing a whole bunch of desparked characters in there as bonuses and then not giving us any update on them and maybe like a legends of article will come out or something but it's like if we're supposed to care about these characters as much as you guys wanted us to, then maybe we should get more than two paragraphs per character that got de-sparked like we would get in a Legends of article or anything. And it just felt kind of discordant overall as a package because it's like the epilogue set is cool in theory. This execution just felt like it spread itself too thin away from an actual epilogue to March of the Machines and just like... Oh, and also these major characters that everybody loved are de-sparked, and we're not going to tell you anything about them. Um, you can watch the Loading Ready Run video for some information about them. You can watch the panel for some information about Kiora and Ab, but it's like, it's just such a strange way to deliver it, and I felt like it either needed to be an actual epilogue set focused on Nissa and Nahiri, like the story is, or it needed to be a larger epilogue set and give us glimpses at the very least at these other planeswalkers and how they are impacted by their desparking. Because this is a tantalizing episode for both Nyssa and Nahiri. But I want to know what these other characters' stories are, and you told us to care about them, and now I'm just not supposed to care until we see them again. So that's where I land on it. I'm excited for Omen That's right. But yeah, well, what's your opinion on Omen Paths, though? <laughs> uh, Omen Paths, like Omen Paths are going to be. If it turns out to be the exact same thing that the Planeswalkers would do anyways, where it's like, obviously, we needed this Planeswalker to fill this role in the world. Therefore, they went from the Omen Path from their home plane where they were stranded on to here. Then why were they desparked in the first place? But if it's going to be Legends Fest on the other side of the spectrum where a whole bunch of people are marching through and it's just kind of Commander Chaos, which is what I fear, then it's going to be, um, you know, not <laughs> that enjoyable for story for pretty much the same reason, because you can't serve all those characters satisfying stories. And I think we're in a strange balance where it's like, there are obvious limitations to magic story and aftermath has shown them. And I kind of fear that what has happened with aftermath will get exacerbated. The more characters get involved from interplanar travel. And, um, I, I just want things to be tight knit and kind of comprehensive and cohesive as a story. And this is not a promising indicator for, for me personally i i think um i agree for the most part in the desparking situation i think that uh 
to take the spark away from all these characters, especially showing us the way that Nissa and Nahiri are responding to the loss of their spark and how like of a big deal that is for these characters and affects their identity and who they are. Uh, not necessarily because they used to be like, you know, traveling across the whole multiverse, but because of the fact that like their relationships to other people and other characters were often spark dependent. Um, I think that's really interesting. And it kind of sucks that like, we're not going to get that for a lot of characters and some of the, you know, de-sparked characters like, you know, uh, Narset and uh, Ob and Kiora, like these characters never really felt like they were going to leave wherever they were anyways. Like Ob Nixilis on Nuka Pena is like, all right, I don't think he was ever going to leave Nuka Pena. Um, Narset is a Tarkir planeswalker and now she's just a Tarkir legendary creature. We don't have Makes confirmation sense. for Raul Zarek, yeah. but we know where he is. On yeah, this. Raul Zarek has never left Ravnica and so he's not, <laughs> even if he is a planeswalker still. Um, and so like, I think that's fine. But then you have characters like, you know, Koth and Teferi, who's like, Teferi staying on Zalfir makes a lot of sense, but like Koth had such a narrative arc that he could have followed with like trying to find his new home. And now they just were like, well, you got Zalfir and that's it for you, buddy, unless you want to roll the dice on an omen path and see where it takes you, which is like its own interesting storyline, but it's not the same thing. Um, and also to like put Koth in a, you know, a back room for 10 years just to pull him out and then go, guess what? You're not a planeswalker anymore. Uh, real, real bad choice. Um, but I think for like the storytelling purposes, I can see really interesting stories being told now about like, you know, for the desparking side of planeswalkers who are like no longer planeswalkers and maybe some of them get stuck on planes they didn't intend to be on. Or maybe some of them are dealing with uh, like the Nissa situation where they want to go home. Uh, maybe some of them start just kind of walking through omen paths to see where it takes them. Uh, and I think that's interesting. And then on top of that, I think it's interesting that omen paths exist as like a narrative possibility. I will see how it's executed. Um, but it's interesting because like what happens when there's an omen path on Ravnica and it becomes like a really well-traveled path and like the Azorius are regulating it and there's all these like, you know, it becomes like a big staple part of Ravnica and then like it shifts one day, you know, and suddenly it no longer leads everyone to the vacation rental that they had set up on like <laughs> Pyrulia or something. And now suddenly everyone who goes through the Omen path ends up in an Urborg swamp. And like, that's a fun story that could be told. And also like, you know, the, like the borders of planes could now actually be touching and we could get like, you know, Oh, here's a Omen path that opened on uh what'd you call it uh carol i want to say carol keep but i that's not what i'm thinking of uh regatha here's a portal that opened up on regatha and it's pretty stable and it's connected almost directly with like tarkir and they set up a trading system and now you have stuff from regatha and tarkir and it's like a little border town exists around on either side of this omen path like that could be really interesting um but i think that like we do have to see how it's used and implemented and how the stories that get told with it. And I have trust that the people on Magic Creative will tell good stories. But I also do think that, like, this was a choice. Yeah. And this... someone chose it. 
And I'm like, I want to know where this is going. And these two stories don't give me a really good view of it yet. They give me really good views of Nissa and Nahiri, but like, I need to know more. So simply wait multiple months for Wilds of Aldrain, because that's the next, that's the next installment of the main story. I am interjecting. We're going to Brian now because we're running out of time. I'll keep this short, relatively. Um, so I have major issues with, uh, like the Omen Pass is fine. I, I don't have any issues with the Omen Pass. I think that's a great way to allow legendary creatures from plane to plane interact with new planes that they've never been to. I think that's fine. Um, I do have issues with them desparking the planeswalkers. Um, on Moss, especially without uh, stories for except for what two of them, or like Coffin, uh, Teferi were mentioned, but we don't really address them. I, I I do have issues with the idea that some of these planeswalkers were desparked because they didn't really go anywhere anyway. Um, I I think that it really cheapens like their abilities to t- make us feel things for those characters especially some of these characters we didn't get a chance to get to know very much at all i'm like i'm kind of targeting cough here because I, I was super not happy with his story arc in general um but you have like characters like cough um who we have super close ties to Mirrodin or um Oh my gosh, what's her name? Uh, Ralzarek is a good example too. Who he never leaves his plane, but Koth has a situation where his plane no longer exists for all intents and purposes. Um, so it would have been nice to see him get a chance to explore the multiverse to see what he missed because he essentially he pretty much almost never left Mirrodin. Like he was on Dominaria and met Elspeth for a little while, but we don't really see him off of his plane very much. And now would be the perfect time for him to explore other planes in a much easier path. Uh, um, Tyvar, he was the kind of planeswalker who had just learned he was a planeswalker. And I feel like there was story opportunities for him to use his knowledge of Omen Pass to guide other people through and explore the planes, especially now that, you know, he knows what planes are. He's no longer embroiled with the, the Phyrexian threat. And I think them taking away the ability to do that, uh, to have him explore these planes without having to go through all these portals is, is kind of a disappointing conclusion to get to. Um, I think they could have gotten away from some of these planes. Like if they wanted to have a planeswalker stay on their plane, that's fine. I, I get that. Um, but I don't think we should have taken away all these sparks just because all oh, these planeswalkers never go anywhere else anyway. So I, I think that just really reduces the ability for us to connect with them, like Harry was saying. Um, I, I think there are better ways for us to explore planeswalkers interacting with other planes or other people without having to take away their ability to planeswalk and, and take away their sparks. Um it's just like Carrie said. I, I think this could have been handled in such a better way, um, and it's really disappointing to see. I, I'm like, I'm gonna give them a shot and see what happens with the rest of the planeswalkers. I, I 
it, it's yeah, I'm, I'm not happy about it, but we'll see what happens. Um, and maybe it's something that they can fix in the future or something like that. Who knows? Um, but we'll see. I think there's like a very like real chance that like Eldraine Wild and Owl and the Lost Caverns of Ilt Ixalan are going to have like really good stories that like address a lot of these issues that we have with like the nature of Planeswalkers being disparked and the Omen Paths and the way that they're utilized in the story and all that. Um, but also it's been like months. It's like months until those stories come out. And so it kind of sucks to like give us these two stories and then be like, all right, now sit with this for several months because it's like, I I need just like a little bit more, just like a little bit more, release like a couple of more stories to like show me what your plan is with the narrative, at least a little bit so that I feel like I can see the future because right now I'm just kind of like, I see how this could be really, really good, but I also see how this could be really, really, really bad. And so I don't have any vision of what the answer is. I Am I going to take a leap of faith through an open path? I don't know. I mean, yeah, because I'm, I'm not going to stop reading the story or anything, but it's um, it's just a little bit. Yeah, like 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 Brian was saying, like. Just a little disappointing that they would do this at this time and also specifically disappointing that they did this to Koth, who I think is the most misserved of all of the Planeswalkers. Like, yeah, just just a shame. But we'll see. Maybe he just starts walking through omen paths and basically planeswalking without being a planeswalker. Yeah. And in that case, then why? Why? Why is yeah. this spark taken away? If Narset's going to be essentially a non-planeswalker who walked through an omen path to Ikoria since war and then walked back, like, <laughs> what's what's the point of her planeswalking? But also, what's the point of robbing her of that planeswalking? So I just want to see, see, and read. So, Hook. I'll, I'll, I'll end up, end this episode uh, with just a reminder. This is how we get Eladomri in every set, though. I don't think that's true. <laughs> You're trying to buy Brian's support. You are. That is shameful. Yeah, I don't. No, I'm just I'm just teasing everybody and dangling little carrots in front of you because I'm mean. I've had enough carrots today. I, I need something better. I need steak. <laughs> oh, you uh, need there steak. were no steaks. I need to see first. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, well, that is our thoughts on aftermath and and the aftermath stories. Uh, we're gonna be back next week with the the rest of the flavor gems from March of the Machine, uh, as well as the flavor gems from Aftermath. Um, and uh, otherwise, we're done here. So, final thoughts. Um. By the time this episode comes out, I'm probably going to be already over 24 hours in Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Um, goodbye, world. I have a lot of uh, work projects ending. Um, and so uh, really convenient timing because I'm going gamer mode for a very, <laughs> very long time. I will see you for Wilds of Eldraine, everyone. Yeah, um, I too will be uh, taking a dive and... Uh playing some Tears of the Kingdom, and my fiancé will probably be playing as well, and I'll probably be letting her play it on my TV while I play it on the console, but it's whatever. Um, but also, uh, COVID is still a thing. My best friend uh, is immunocompromised, and both of her parents now have it, and she lives with them, so...
Yeah, <sighs> it's uh, it's still a thing, y'all. So be careful. Uh, be safe out there. Yeah. Um, my final thought is that I'm not going to be playing Zelda Tears of the Kingdom because I have never finished a Zelda game. Uh, never really got into them. I love watching them. I think they're really cool and I think they're great. And I appreciate everyone's having a great weekend. I decided instead I would get an Xbox finally and play uh, Jedi Survivor, which is so far real good. Really enjoying that. So that'll be me all weekend. I love Riverdale in space. I have been <laughs> catching up with my Destiny 2 power level and played my first raw route. So um, well, we're getting there. Um, my final thought is a, another book recommendation, The Haunting of Haji Hotak and Other Stories. Very good short story collection by Jamil Jan Kochai. Um, I just liked it. The The titular story is so shriek-inducing. I, I love when I finish a short story and there's nothing in my head except just internal screaming because... <laughs> Because you just know this shouldn't be happening. So, yeah, God. that's my recommendation. Yeah, like after I finish the Aftermath stories. Um, <laughs> the, the title story is available somewhere for free online. If you just Google it, it's The Haunting of Haji Hotek. And the author reads it on the article site. So, cool. Go listen there. That just that just reminded me of uh, the current situation with This Is How You Lose the Time War. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. By the way, you you should read that book. Don't don't read a plot summary or anything. Just read the book and you should buy it on Amazon right now. Spiking in popularity. Uh, <laughs> how many years after it was recommended to me and my spouse? Like it's and, all and thanks, thanks to, to a great Twitter user. <laughs> all thanks to Twitter user Bigolus Dickolus. Thank you so much for just making a viral tweet. No, the the fact that this came from a Trigon fan account and and got to the point where the producer of Trigun Stampede has now bought a book about Yuri. Uh, and this is just fantastic for me as someone who is really hoping that Trigun Stampede season two brings Millie in. Uh, and and I guess, please give the producer ideas about Yuri. Good Yuri, dramatic, yearning Yuri uh, and put it into Trigun because we already have got gay boys uh and i i like trigon a normal amount uh <laughs> but also related to internal screaming because holy shit witch from mercury anime is good y'all uh also i started birdie wing ah speaking of yuri anyway this episode's over patreon.com slash the cast supporting us gets you on your on our discord there's a lot of great people there this episode's done Thank you all for listening. (laughs) This has been the Vorthos cast.